Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, nerds. Welcome to the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. Just Adam today for this introduction. So excited. So very excited because I had the opportunity to interview Nevo, who wrote the spectacular book, The Chosen and the Beautiful, which is out now. It came out um, a couple of weeks ago at this point. Uh, The Chosen and the Beautiful, to break it down quite simply, is a magical, queer, great Gatsby reimagining. We follow our main character as Jordan Baker. um, But basically, every character has something going on that is much different than the actual Greg Gatsby. And it's such a, I mean, beautiful is a funny word to to call it because it's in the title, but it is, it's such a beautiful book. Uh, All of the characters have, like I said, the the, the magic sets that Nee created are so great. And we talk in this conversation about why she picked Jordan and uh, (laughs) Nee was basically like, I didn't understand the character. It's, I, I didn't understand her in the original book. So I wanted to fix that. Uh, This conversation is great because we get into the classic books that we read as kids when we were like in high school and middle grade school and why we might not have loved them very much at the time, but why, what it is about the fact that when someone tells you that there's a reimagining of a book that you read as a kid, like what it is in our brains that makes us get so excited for those. Uh, we also have a, a great little conversation about the fact that my dog's name is Holden and I hate the catcher in the rye and why his name is that and the angst it has brought me for now 11 years having to answer the question about my true feelings of the catcher in the rye, which if you listened to any amount of time for this podcast, you know how I feel. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you can always go to professionalbooknerds.com. That's where you can find actually all of our episodes ever. You can search for an author a genre, a book, and see if we've talked about it or spoke with those people. Uh, You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at ProBookNerds. And if you haven't done this yet, we don't ask very often, um, but if you have uh, a minute or two, if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts, whether it's Apple or um, Spotify or any of the other myriad uh, apps that you know you can listen to podcasts and it just helps people find us a little bit more easily so if you've gotten any book recommendations from us that you've enjoyed over the past uh, you know, five years at any point um, if you want to leave us a review just really quickly it helps out so much um, also thank you to everyone who attended our event last week with Kate Moore who is the author of The Woman They Couldn't Silence uh, we are going to put that up on YouTube uh, in the pretty near future. So if it's not up already by now, I think that's all of the housekeeping. So I'm not going to keep you guys any longer. I'm going to let you get to this conversation with Nevo, author of The Chosen and the Beautiful on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Wow. 
to kind of just like kick us off by introducing people to the chosen and the beautiful we will just go from there so i will i will leave it up to you you can tell as much or as little about the book as you would like and then when then we'll just start uh we'll continue chatting i suppose I almost just want to read the back copy because uh, because Tor did a great job with it. But mm-hmm. okay, but let's see. All right. Um, my name is Niveau. I wrote The Chosen and the Beautiful, which is a magical retelling of The Great Gatsby uh, from the point of view of Jordan Baker, who in my version is a Vietnamese American queer woman who is just very interested in having a good time, much like everyone else in the 20s um, uh, was. And um, and if it distinguishes itself in any way, it's that I put in a lot of sex and um, I had a very good time learning about uh, 1920s alcoholic drinks. Yeah, that's, you know what, honestly, that's absolutely, that's so like on the nose, perfect, that I, I have a lot of questions regarding the reasons of like why you chose Gatsby and obviously people who are in the book world will know that like this is kind of the first time that anyone's been able to do anything with the great Gatsby because of the copyright and everything but what made you you kind of to, to start like what made you want to use Jordan Baker as the character that you sort of transformed into the protagonist oh that's it that one's that's actually an easy question because I don't understand Jordan in the main book. Mm. Jordan doesn't make any sense in the original in the original novel. Because um, I'm going to ask you, like, she's supposed to be uh, Daisy's best friend. Who lets their best friend walk face first into a meeting with the long lost love of her life and doesn't give her any warning? Mm-hmm. So either Jordan is stone cold evil, or she's got her she's doing something else in the background and we have no idea what it is. So. Mm. And I started wondering, Jordan, what are you doing? You are literally having off the screen conversations with Jay Gatsby. What is going on? And, you know, in, in the um, original, um, Jay Gatsby is only about 42,000 words, mm-hmm. 42,000 uh, 42, words long, about double that. So then I get to sort of just open Jordan up and start having fun with, with her. Yeah. So, okay. So along those lines, like what, how did you go about deciding like which aspects, because people will pick up right away like yes it's the great Gatsby characters and it does follow the plot line it, to an extent in the sense that like there's similar beats but it's not the same story so like wh- how did you go about deciding what parts to add what parts to embellish with some you know magical realism or actually just magic not even magical realism but like you know what how did you go about deciding like okay I'm gonna do this I'm not gonna do that I'm gonna approach these aspects and which ones you know which ones did you want to pick and choose as soon as I decided that the whole thing was going to be written from Jordan Baker's point of view um it became fairly easy I got I got to do all the stuff I love doing which is going back in um back into the, the uh, World War One era to talk about what everyone was doing then. I get to move forward. At the very end, I get to posit what the future might be like for everyone. Um, Jordan is one of those characters, I think, that is very much rooted um, in the future. And you know, we could say that um, where we are 100 years after The Great Gatsby is written, we're the future. But she sort of embodies something for me, which is looking forward in a way that, say, uh, Tom and Daisy don't really do in a way that even um, Jay Gatsby, who very much is the sort of path of change that terrifies the old guard, even Jay doesn't do it because Jay is actually 
trying to step backwards mm-hmm. into sort of like a um, an older grandeur through using um, their concept of the future. Jordan actually is just charging ahead, and in, in some cases, she's sort of like slingshotted ahead, whether she wants to be or not. So, mm-hmm. um, once you have someone like Jordan sort of doing the narration, the story only goes a, a few a few ways, and and I think I was really happy with the way that um, the novel turned out in that respect. Yeah, and so in adding like ghosts and dark magic and kind of like demonology type things, obviously this lets you adjust the tone of the characters, you know, some more so than others, depending on how you wanted to take them. Like, what was your thought process in going about like, okay, I'm going to make so-and-so maybe a little bit evil. I'm going to make so-and-so maybe a little bit you know, more powerful or whatever. Like, was there, I'm imagining you having sort of like a, it was like a roster, like a wall and being like, okay, and this person's going to go over here and this person's going to go over here. Like, how did you pick and choose what versions of them you were going to write about? I really wish I was that organized. That would be so amazing if I wasn't. Everyone would probably be much happier for working with me with that. <laughs> um, I think there's this whole thing about one of the reasons why we fall in love with The Great Gatsby. Like, I was given The Great Gatsby as, you know, it, teenager you know because that's that's when we're ready for the great cans of literature when we're still trying to figure out like you know our bodies and ourselves and mm-hmm. drugs and sex and all that fun stuff um yeah let's throw literature on top of that yeah. um the, the thing that really always struck me about the great gatsby is how big everyone is yeah. um you know it, it's it's like that great line from uh rosencrantz and gillenstern are dead you know we're we're on the stage we're talking like no one ever talked we're acting like no one ever acted and there's a sort of a paradox there because we can absolutely see people acting like these characters, but they're yeah. so big. And I'm pretty sure the magnifying effect, I haven't thought about this very much, but I think the magnifying effect is probably the money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, and it's the money and it's celebrity and it's how powering these characters get to be both in our, our imaginations and in the world they live in. They're, they're enormous and you can't ignore them. And I think that especially if you give it to a bunch of teenagers, teenagers hate being ignored I know I did I you know want that we're terrified that our lives are going to lack that grandeur and Mm -hmm. and I think that's one of the reasons that makes um the original novel so attractive what really helps me sort of graph graph everyone where they fall in my world it's just and then you add magic which makes everything much bigger still so I I think I saw you you say something along the lines in in an essay like these characters like exist so hard it like forces you to kind of see them sort of a thing is that mm-hmm. kind of along the same lines like there's so much Gatsby in Gatsby that like he like forces you to understand him well not understand him but like to see him and to you can't take your eyes off of this you know glitz and glamour and everything I think that's a kind of a fine line that any that anyone who is in any way marginalized um, has to sort of dance back and forth on. Mm-hmm. We can either be quiet enough that no one hurts us, or we can be so unapologetically ourselves that we become their problem. Yeah, and, um, that's the call that Jordan made, and it's the one that makes that makes her absolutely one of my favorite characters ever to write. Which is like, it's like no, you can't, you can't ignore me, mm-hmm. and and it, and that's the scope of the book. And I think it's going to make her um, such a way as she has in adulthood. She's going to be a very interesting adult. Yeah. Um- so when you were given this book as a teenager, I, I'm curious what your 
like initial thoughts were because I admittedly as a teenager, I didn't love Gatsby, but it wasn't because I didn't like classic literature because I remember being absolutely blown away by um, Of Mice and Men. Like I love Steinbeck. Oh yeah, of course. And, and um, we read a book called A Lesson Before Dying, A Lesson Before Dying by I think it's Ernest Gaines. Um, totally just like left me shattered, but in the best way possible. But I didn't love Gatsby and I, and I never really understood why. But so when you were first given it, did you, were you a, a teenage fan of Gatsby? The reason, one of the reasons why I'm, I'm convinced that Gatsby stuck with me was the day we were given it, I was nearly hit by a car in the school parking lot. Oh. It's, that's not as special as it sounds. I was a really space cadet teenager okay. and that parking lot was actually kind of dangerous, full of, you know, it's full of teenage drivers and mm -hmm. people who don't like each other very much. I'm not going to lie. Um, so, I mean, that's not, that's not special, but it did stick in my mind. So mm -hmm. I'm going to pretend, I'm going to pretend that that's deeply meaningful though, and say that, you know, I mean, you think about mortality a lot as a teenager while thinking that you're, uh, while thinking that you're immortal, that you're immortal, mm -hmm. um, that, that, that those, the twin concepts of immortality and death are very linked, uh, yeah. for all of us, I think at that point, at that point. Um, and some of it was just the recognition how easy it was to recognize some of the characters. I, I knew girls like Gatsby. I knew boys like Nick. Mm -hmm. I knew girls like Gordon. Um, and I didn't know anyone like Gatsby, but it was so easy to imagine yeah. Gatsby, you know, um, people who create their own legend, people who are just that big. Um, and of course, uh, I think we all knew, we've all known Tom. So, you know, there's that. Yeah, I, no, that makes sense. And I actually, weirdly, like I said, I, I said I didn't love the book, but I do find myself at family gatherings. I, I've come from a very large family. And so like at my parents for like Christmas Eve, I do find myself being like the person who sort of watches everyone else just to kind of watch the party itself mm -hmm. and like making sure, like hoping everyone is having a good time. I do find myself doing those types of things or it's the like trying to remove myself from the narrative to borrow a Hamilton quote poorly um but I it is interesting that they're these characters are ones that like you said we kind of all know people like this whether we realize it or not and it it leaves me wondering about all of the different books that we read as teenagers for school like it's like they all obviously they all had a purpose like I said like you know of mice and men was like well, we're going to teach you about foreshadowing you're never going to believe what's going to happen next but it is interesting like when you started writing your book did you I mean obviously you probably were aware of the copyright situation because it's unpublishable if you know you had written this like seven years ago but you know at what point did you realize that you wanted to write a reimagining of Gatsby it's been in the back of my head since I read the first one, and you know I'm I'm an old fanficer at heart, so I there there are lots of random bits of Gatsby uh, story in my head, and you know what if we do this or what if we do that, and I realize I can't do it, but because I don't think I have the chops for it, but next, but if anyone wants to write a Gatsby Lovecraft mashup, I am just I am waiting for that. I want celebrity as an eldritch horror and mm -hmm. and wealth as infection. Someone needs to give me that. Um, I think that, I mean, you know, I think that you're someone whose brain spits stories, which mine does, you get stories and you just sort of take them in yourself, you make them yours and mm -hmm. you see what comes out eventually. Um, I didn't realize I was going to be writing The Chosen and the Beautiful specifically until about two years ago. And I was in the middle of writing um, another novel 
and I was taught I was talking, chatting with my agent Anna Fox and uh she said so what else you got going on I'm like oh well you know kind of funny I just was thinking that the great Gatsby comes out of copyright in two years and wouldn't it be cool to have and I more or less described mm -hmm. it was beautiful and there's this long pause on the other end and Diana says me I want you to stop writing this book and I want you to go write that one and the end result is the chosen the beautiful novel and a half finished novel that I still haven't touched since then so um so yeah, it, it's it's one of those things like uh, not long after the announcement, I saw this comment on Twitter and it was something like, wow, Nivo was really was really waiting on that, on, really sitting on that one. I'm like, why aren't the rest of you? Come on. Yeah, I no, it's, it's a really good point because it is, it's like, it's one of those I, people who are in the literary world, I feel like, especially when it's something like Gatsby, like we, we all knew that it was you know it wasn't just like you there's I'm sure there I'm sure like Barnes and Noble in several places were like oh just wait till we can make slightly different versions <laughs> of the cover again and we're gonna make so much money doing these types of things oh, like there's a couple gonna be a couple graphic novel versions which I think which I think are gonna be amazing I think that's mm -hmm. gonna be really cool well and also just like the the concept of reimagining stories you're talking about Lovecraft and this is something that I've talked I don't remember exactly who I was talking about about it but like when you can take authors and content that traditionally is even though it's massively popular it's extremely problematic like hp lovecraft just like you know woefully racist and anti-semitic and just it was a horror show yeah like a literal horror show writing about horror and like for you know it's undeniable though his effect on the entire on really all of horror and all of science fiction and fantasy and everything so i i think there's, I feel like there's a couple, like a couple ways to think about it. Some people are like, we shouldn't talk about these people. We shouldn't read their, their stuff. But when it's someone like him who's so all over, like, I think the best way to do it is to take those stories and make them, you know, queer, make them Jewish, make them, uh, you know, multicultural and kind of like take the power back and be like, listen, this is, these are stories that we're going to make our own kind of a thing. And like, I don't think Gatsby is anywhere near as problematic as, as, you know, Lovecraft's stories, but I do have to imagine like that is a key component when you're writing these types of stories. There is, I mean, there's something wonderful about uh, maybe not even reclaiming, but claiming. Um, one of the things that has become increasingly obvious to me as, you know, I did the research for The Great Gatsby and as I went into both um, writing, finishing, editing, and then promoting this novel, is the fact that this is literally a text that is given to all of us. Um, I didn't ask for the Great Gatsby in school. Right. You know, it was it was required reading. Mm -hmm. It was, and for I think for all of us, and you know, to greater or lesser degrees of distress, um, the gift of Western canon can be a deeply troubling one. It can be a deeply hurtful one, depending on who you are or where you're standing. Um, for example, uh, a good friend of mine you know, was getting into noir, um, you know, noir fiction mm -hmm. as a, um, as a teenager and without really much thinking about it, I suppose, um, my friend was queer and uh, his father gave him Raymond Chandler, who is, you know, a deeply homophobic, uh, historians mm -hmm. are deeply homophobic. And, you know, it, it's when we're given those gifts, if you're giving someone a gift in good faith, um, you can't be too mad about how they choose to love it. And, mm -hmm. This reinvention is for a lot of the writers I know, a lot of the artists I know. Reinvention, it can come from a place of anger, but in many cases, it also comes from a place of love. So, you know, we're just doing our best with what we've been given. 
Yeah. And you know what I, I would, I find really interesting as well as even for people who like me, like maybe I didn't love Gatsby when I was first handed it. There's something about knowing that an author, first off, like everyone that I've told about this book adores your works already. So Aww. that, that helps, but it's very wonderful to hear, to tell someone like, so I have this book and it's by Nevo and you're going to love it. And they're like, yeah, okay. oh, wow. I didn't know she has a new novel coming out. And I'm like, it's a great Gatsby retelling. And like, there's something about sharing the idea that it's a reimagining of a story that you do recognize that for whatever reason gets people just so bonkers excited. It's a common language. It's, we spend so much time without a common language, especially once again, if you're queer, if you're, if you're not white, if, you know, living in America, we, we're, we're so much reaching for a common, I mean, that's one of the reasons why um, I think things like the Marvel movies do so well. It's giving us this, this common language we can talk about just anything. And I mean, I'm not saying we always use it wisely or intelligently, but having that common ground just gives us so much of a place to start for when we're searching for that kind of connection, I think. And um, I, I've just really enjoyed hearing what everyone has been talking about with you know, their teenage experiences with the great Gatsby or how they saw the, ba the Baz Luhrmann film and how it made them feel and it was just you know I want to take a quick break to talk about today's sponsor which is our fantastic friends from Literati Books if you've been listening to the podcast for any amount of time you know that we have long been uh, kind of sponsored by Literati and we've been talking about their kids boxes that they send monthly to the young kids in your life. And Literati Books is now offering just an incredible way for the adults listening to be able to partake in a monthly book club right from the comfort of your own home. You know, if you've always said that you wanted to read more this summer, it's, it's the perfect time to do that. So you can empower your inner reader with the Literati Book Clubs, where you can read alongside the world's most inspiring authors and leaders. This is so freaking cool, guys. So basically what they've done is they have partnered with a number of what they're calling luminaries. So think Malala, uh, Steph Curry, Richard Branson. The one that I signed up for is Susan Orlean. I know that the one Jill signed up for is Roxanne Gay. And what happens is every single month you get sent a box with whatever book your particular luminary has selected. So for example, last, uh, last month with Susan Orlean, we read Luster, phenomenal book. And what happens is you can download the Literati app. And when your box comes, there's like a personal note from your luminary. There's details about the book. It's just a beautiful little package. It's such a fun thing to look forward to receiving. And then you can download the Literati app and you can go in there and you can have conversations with people from all over the world who are you know, also reading those books, but you can also get exclusive interviews with the authors and you can connect with the luminaries specifically that you have signed up for. So you can go in there and for me, for example, I can have lively conversations with Susan Orlean about the book that Susan Orlean selected for me and countless other people to read. Um, it's just awesome. Like I said, there's exclusive interviews with the authors themselves. Um, you can ask your biggest questions and get inside information. And you wouldn't be able to do this at any other book club. Um, all book club members can also shop the entire Literati library at discounts that are basically up to 50%. And you can also move freely between 
um, every whenever you want, or you can use the standard membership to access everything and choose the books that you want delivered. It's just so nice to know that every single month I'm going to have a book sent to me that is hand-selected by one of the best authors in the world. It's fantastic. Reimagine what a book club can be by redeeming your free trial at literati.com slash booknerds. Head to literati.com slash booknerds to learn more and read more with Literati. That's literati.com slash booknerds. Were you, were you, so you said you weren't so much into it. Like, was, your, was high school about the big experience you had with The Great Gatsby or did you enjoy any of the movies or anything like that? Um, so I don't love Baz Luhrmann films, which is really weird because I'm a theater nerd. Right. And right. I'm a book nerd, obviously. And I, for whatever reason, like, I don't love, I, I don't know if like it's Baz Luhrmann. He has like all those like quick cuts and everything. Like mm-hmm. Moulin Rouge makes me feel like I'm in a fever dream, which I get is the point. I understand like- <laughs> want to have a fever exactly like it's so funny when i'll talk to friends who are also giant theater nerds and they'll be like Mm -hmm. but that's the point you're supposed to feel like you're all create like feeling crazy i'm like i know but i'm not actually drinking absinthe i'm just watching it and so i i guess i don't know it's interesting because i my mom was an english teacher for four decades like i grew up in a very literary world like we up until I was in grad school, we would do like very frequent book dates where she and I would go buy books together. And like, I was, yeah, it's the best. And like, I, like I said, I I loved Steinbeck. And like, I remember going to college and I was taking these like upper level courses and reading like Gilgamesh and all these classics. And, but like, for whatever reason, Gatsby, I don't know what it was about it because it's not even like that time frame. I love books about that, that time. Mm-hmm. I love the roaring twenties. If you tell like, what's one of those things, my co-host Jill and I talk about all the time. Like if you hand us a book and you say, this is a book set in New York city in the twenties. I'm like, don't you say one more word because I want to read already. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, I, I don't know if it was the characters or what it was. It just didn't jump out of me but again like even if it's a book that I didn't love that I read in high school if you hand it to me and say like this is a grapes of wrath reimagining I will or like retelling I'll be like oh shoot so like I don't know I, for me it was just one of those books where, like I enjoyed it and then I was like hmm. I kind of went above I don't know I don't know I don't know if that's like a, a good answer or not but oh, no, it, it's um you enjoy, uh, did you ever read uh, Vile Bodies by Evelyn Waugh, who did, um, that's the book that they based Bright Young Things off of. I did not. Oh, it, it's just, it, it, it's like The Great Gatsby, but more, it's more increasingly spoiled rich people who ruin their lives. Um, and, you know, that's, that's just catnip. I mean, why wouldn't I read about that? Oh, see, this is, uh, and of course I have, you can probably hear, uh, sorry, everybody, I've got uh, some guard work or something going on. I live in a townhome community, so we can never determine when people are going to do stuff like that. But um, anyone who has listened to our podcast for any amount of time knows that I hate Catcher in the Rye. Yes, it's a great one to hate. Yes, exactly. And so here's a funny layer to that. My older dog's name is Holden. Oh, why did that happen? So I love Kevin Smith movies. And there's a, one of his movies is Chasing Amy and is the main character's name is Holden, Holden McNeil. And I guess I didn't ever make, like, I just didn't think through the fact that I work at a book company. I one day will launch a book podcast. My dog's name is Holden. And the amount of times people will be like, oh, like Holden Caulfield, huh? And I'll just have to like roll my eyes. But yeah, that's, I feel like that's like another one where it's like kind of spoiled, not even kind of spoiled kid 
says he's going to do something, doesn't, says he's going to run away, doesn't, complains the whole time. And I just never understood. Like Gatsby, I definitely get that there is layers of thing, like the original. I definitely understand why people like it and that there are, you know, it, it's a the kind of like the false imagination of the American dream and like all these. Anytime anyone argues with me that the catcher in their eye is good because it shows you it's like teenage angst. I'm like, no, it's not. It's just an asshole who complains the whole time. Sorry, now I'm on a soapbox. Now you got me fired up. We ran an adult Holden's too much to really give him much rope, I think, at this point. No, my big one was um, uh, Edith Wharton's Ethan Frome. Mm -hmm. Why would you give that to a bunch of Midwestern kids in the middle of the winter? Isn't life hard enough? (laughs) (laughs) I I will say, I'll give, I will give my uh, junior year English teacher credit because it was in the middle of winter, but that was the first time they handed us Princess Bride. Oh, that was a great thing to give a bunch of kids. That's fantastic. Especially in the winter. Yeah, Yeah, that was was like one of those where I was like, oh, yeah, this is okay. Adventure, like, I don't know. I I feel like I'm very cognizant of giving my nieces and nephews, especially my niece who's going into high school. She's the oldest one. Um, I'm very cognizant because, of course, and I'm sure you get this too as the author, people were like, well, me, what should I read? Like, what's the book? (laughs) And I feel such pressure doing that for my family, but I try to give her books that I feel like she'll, actually enjoy not because I even and she may end up loving classic literature but I'm always nervous I want to be like what do you want to read about and kind of like get it from there but yeah it's like it's this weird responsibility as the bookish relative and suddenly you're like it's like you're prescribing them like vitamins and it's like okay you're gonna probably be okay if you read this one so just read it and good luck in high school this is all I can this is all I can offer you yeah I it's like when someone tells me to watch a television show, which I'm very bad at in general, just because. But you know how if someone will say, just get through the first season of a show and then you're going to love it. I'm like, no, like imagine if I gave you a book series. I was like, just get through the first book and then you're going to love yeah, it. There is no other media that, that you can do that. It's like, okay, now the first 12 hours that you're a part of this is going to suck. But I'm like, no, I, and- you know my cost per hour. It's not. It's not pretty. Come on. Well, and then for books, it is so challenging to hand someone a book and say, just get through the first 75 pages. Those <laughs> are a, that's a slog. But once you're past that, like, I don't know, I, yeah. I'm a little bit less of a jerk when it comes to people recommending me things because I am like actively trying to see it as an act of love. I'm like, okay, they, they care about me. They want me to, 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 to have this piece of media they want to it to be something that I sh- that I share with them and you know at the very least I'll learn more about my loved ones which is their taste might suck a little so you know it, it's it's a learning process it's love it's learning it's I will sit down and I will watch the tv show um oh, <laughs> and we'll see good, how it goes good for you because that just falls on deaf ears with me like if it's a book recommendation I'll absolutely take it I I will definitely take a book recommendation but if someone's like, I have a TV show for you, I'm like, I, I'm probably not gonna watch. Even if it's something I would end up loving, I'm just like, I'm not gonna. No, and it's even worse because well, you shouldn't give me too much credit because if I don't like it, I come back and I make it everyone's problem. Okay. Like it's like, oh, so you're just tired of me ever being happy? Okay, thank you. No, it's fine. Like I just didn't know that you hated me and you didn't no, want me I, to be happy. Yeah. I, I didn't know that the that you wanted me to spend ten hours of my life mad. Yeah, you know what? No, that was my fault. You're right. That oh, was that's on, on me. That's on me. That's on me. Uh, so there are a couple of different magic systems in your book. Hmm. 
how did you go about see I, I eventually got us back to to the content we were talking about um how did you go about like Jordan has this like really amazing kind of paper cutting magic but there's also stuff about um people's like fingernails that I don't want to get too deeply into but like how did you go about building out your magic systems for this so it starts off in the 20s when I was doing my research for this book. And the thing that really strikes me really hard about learning about the 20s is how everything is so much more materially real than it was before. Like, you know, advertising is beginning to really, uh, really rev up in a way of, and there is this kind of terrible consuming magic of advertising in general where it promises a world that doesn't really exist. You know, and they're just beginning to get into that. And I knew that whatever magic had, whatever magic I was going to use for it, I wanted it to reflect that attitude of the 20s. This is how big and wonderful everything could be. It's, and it's well within your grasp. If you're willing to sell your soul a little bit, if you're willing to give up this part of yourself, if you're willing to be this strange, this strong, um, it's a temptation and it's, and uh, the, the comparison I've been making to it is electricity, mm-hmm. which was um, sort of, getting into American homes at that point. Um, it, it's this strange balancing line where we still have, we have houses that are lit up with electricity a lot like they are now. And we have houses that are still on candlelight. We have houses that have full plumbing. We have houses that are still dealing with um, latrines. Mm-hmm. So there's this big division between what we've had and what we could have. Once I get that tension going, that's where the magic comes from. Like literally it's where, um, need its want its expression mm-hmm. and it still becomes this place of have and having and have nots and I really wanted to hit with Jordan um I love Jordan she's a rich girl you know yeah. she and that's half the fun of it it's it's really nice to be a have it's yeah. really nice for her to have these powers and also to have a rich aunt who would really love it if she came to New York and lived rent free in her in her um her Manhattan apartment. Yeah, that's so bad. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, she's, she's, she's doing okay. Yeah. It, it is so interesting though, talking about this time. And like, like you said, where in real life, there were people that were, had fully like beautiful, you know, lit up houses and there are others that didn't like, I feel like from the 1900s through kind of like the, the mid fifties, especially when you, you see books and, and movies and these shows, it's like, there was this massive age of discovery where like it almost was like there were things in the world that felt like magic where I don't feel like that's like I feel like there's very few things now that we can see that gets invented that I I'm not already like well yeah that should have invented that should have been invented already you know it's like there are even things that are basically magic like it like I work for a company where you can literally borrow millions of books on your phone. Like that's basically magic. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's a, that's a thing that we all should have had. But I feel like because of this, I don't know, there was just this different, I feel like it was a different time quite literally, but where people would trust in advertisers and they would trust in the things that they were seeing and they were, they were seeing them for the first time. And I have to imagine like that truly felt like magic. So even in a world where, magic does didn't exist like in real world or in the you know the original Gatsby like I feel like it might have been like an interesting transition for you as a writer to be like well I'm just going to change some of this into magic like it feels very realistic to be able to do that there's a present I mean advertising you know at its core in a lot of ways is a presentation of wonder mm-hmm. and I mean and at this point we are exhausted of that yeah. and I think we're kind of 
and you know i don't know if we're growing wise but we are growing suspicious at the very least these days there's there's wonder fatigue i mean yeah. right now for me like first time every time i hear about some kind of random innovation in ai or tech i'm like okay, how are the cops going to use just start there or i'm like or you know i hear about something really cool happening i'm like okay what are you trying to sell me darling yeah um and that's hard and i mean i think uh in the 1920s you're beginning to get that sense of wonder and it's all brand new and you could look at it with more naive eyes and you know i was just it makes me kind of think of the um the advent of the paperback uh you know about have you, you know about that weird thing of how gatsby became a classic and what mm. that has to do with like it's well um the book originally was this big flop when it came out it was the great disappointment of Fitzgerald's life it would have just been kind of like this kind of funny trashy novel from the 20s until mm -hmm. the 40s came along and because the great Gatsby was so short it was brought into this program with new paperback technology to let our troops read you know they're part of these entertainment kits that world war ii soldiers got mm -hmm. they were meant to be read like four or five times and then basically used as tinder because they're disposable yeah um, and the best part about it was that by the 40s, suddenly we're not talking about spoiled rich kids anymore. We're talking about where America used to be before the depression. Mm -hmm. And now it's nostalgia and now it's magic. And now, of course, it's the great American novel. And yeah. I, just, I love that transition. It, it, it feels so very American in many ways. I, I love the idea. It's, it's interesting. There's, there's several books that became extremely popular because of like their availability like another one is a christmas carol um by charles dickens mm -hmm. how it's like he wrote he basically published it himself and the reason that it became so beloved was because he made it so cheap for people to be able to get their hands on and so they all read it and they're like oh wow this is great and it's like if he had made it the price of a normal book it it wouldn't have like accessibility it comes right down to accessibility again and you know well and i, I think that's also probably why we all are handed it even now as teenagers, like it's the same thing like I talked about, you know, of Mice and Men. We were handed of Mice and Men because you can do a lesson, quote unquote, about it because it's a novella and it's, I think it's like 102 pages or something. It's like, mm -hmm. yeah, we can, there's there's a reason that every one of us read that and that we all read Hills Like Wet Elephants, a short story by, mm -hmm. and by you know, by, by Hemingway. And it's like, or like Old Man in the Sea. Like they hand us these books because they're like, you can tackle this in a month and we can talk about it and you can write an essay and then we can move on to the next class. Like it's very, I feel like it's very rare for a English class in high school to be like, here's some Dostoevsky. Like you're just not going to tackle that when you're 15. It is do Dostoevsky. It was such a mistake. I don't, we were so depressed. <laughs> I was going to say, did they give you any happy books to read when you were no, a teenager? No, I don't, I genuinely don't think they did. <laughs> I mean, there's Nathaniel Hawthorne, does that count? I don't, know how happy he is washington irving maybe yeah okay um, there you go i anyway which is happy for a very specific experience of happy i guess yes yeah, happy if you love uh guns and whiskey and and if and, you're really tired of anyone else having a good time i think and you like sometimes very, I am. i'm tired of everyone else having a good time yeah and you like short declarative sentences but like, no even, we, we are men we do not we do not use adjectives that's right absolutely yeah it, well even like washington irving we you know, I love Washington Irving today, but like my mm -hmm. first introduction of him was, of course, you know, like the Headless Horseman, like, you know, mm -hmm. it was like that whole short story. And, and it was like, yeah, we're going to read Sleepy Hollow because it's, you know, Legend Sleepy Hollow because it's October. And that's why we're going to read it. It's like, <laughs> and we could get through it in, an, in October. Like it's, 
it is interesting. And of course, when we went to college, that's when, like I said, we get start getting handed like the Canterbury Tales, and they're like, read this by next week and have thoughtful ideas about every single character in here. And it's like, oh God, that. Um, what was maybe the most challenging part of writing this book for you? Well, here's the thing. I don't really remember uh, writing it very much. So I did about a month or so of reading and then and then I wrote it in about four months while my sister was trying was getting married. Mm -hmm. So and it was really and you have to understand it was really hot that year. <laughs> and I and I have these like these flashes of like trying to desperately plot out what was happening next while I'm sitting in a in a diner in in like a, a diner that's actually in a casino in Las Vegas and I'm just dealing with Vegas at that time because I'm like oh goodness there's a gambling machine in the back of my uber mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, that's the thing that's happening to me right now and it was great and I think Vegas is really really cool but you know I had basically spent um so I would I was just writing up until that time so it was sort of like being taken from my cozy little egg environment dunked in like a neon tube is, mm -hmm. is kind of what that felt like so challenging um I feel like uh at some point for me it's just it's just words on the page I editing fix everything and I'm sorry Diana and Rushi who are the ones who actually have to deal with that but, but you know it's just as long as I get the words on the page as long as the words actually physically exist the rest is just rest is just cake you know they can they can be moved around they can be changed they can you know if uh, like I think um and I had an issue with uh one segment which I can't remember what it was and my response was okay you know what I'm just gonna write about five or six different versions and you can just pick the one that you like the best and that's easy <laughs> that's yeah. easy compared to everything else you know wow I I feel like any author listening to this is just furious at you right now to, oh, no. that you're able to do that. That's a, that's amazing. I mean, not all not not all of them are good. Like I think <laughs> I like tried to slip some good omens fanfic into one of the versions, and she called she found that she called me out on that one like immediately, mm -hmm. like embarrassingly quickly. Oh, there was shoot there some author talked about the fact kind of exactly what you said where they were like people ask me. I don't know if it was Gaiman or somebody, but someone said like, they ask if they, what is, you know, is it daunting to look at a blank page? And they kind of said similar to what you said. It's like, you know, once I get everything down, it doesn't matter how bad it is because you can edit something that's bad. You can't edit a blank page. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> Finishing. That's, I mean, I, I hate that advice. You have to write every day. And I'm like, no, you just have to finish things. That's, that's all you have to do as a writer. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the reason why I wrote Empress of Salt and Fortune was because uh, Tor said, hey, we have a novella program. You only have to write 20,000 words. And I'm like, I can write 20,000 words. And, and that's why the Empress of Salt and Fortune exists. That's, oh my God, that's so funny. Um, I interviewed P. Jelly Clark at the end of last year. Oh, cool. I get to talk with him um, for, for, for presentation soon. I'm really looking forward to it. He is the oh, I guess that actually made like your two books. I could definitely see why they would pair you guys together with his, his new book. Um, but like it was so fun. You were talking about the specific, I learned all about the specific lengths of like novellas and short stories and full length novels because I don't remember which one it was, but it was something he wrote um before Ring Shout and it was like 40,200 words or something. Oh no. And they were like, so Fen, you're going to want to cut this because if you don't, this will count as your debut novel. And I, and we know you have Ring Shout coming out. And, and I, I learned all those. That's, I mean, obviously with Tor, that's a thing that like, you know, they, 
they have specific silos that it is it's very very interesting to know about it's like a whole new world that i don't think people realize like there's a reason it's called a novella it's because it's a very specific length i also found out when they were um uh we were looking uh hardbacks versus paperbacks i also found out that you can't have a hardback that is smaller than 100 word than 100 pages i'm like really and they're like yes niece so we would like you to really think about the length for your seeing hills novella because i think everyone's beginning to realize i'm like twenty thousand, and then i'm done and i can go eat cake or something it, it's the most midwestern of uh of, of places for me it's like if i finish my work i get cake i get baked goods right mm -hmm. And, and so, and then I'm like, 20,000 words, I'm done. I've, I've said everything important I want to say ever. Bye. Oh, man. I'm laughing so hard because no one else is going to know that you and I spent like 10 minutes making Midwestern jokes before we started recording. And so every little like Midwestern or drop, because you're in, just for people, for frame of reference, they know I'm in Cleveland and you're in Milwaukee. Milwaukee, yeah. Milwaukee. Yeah, so. As we, as Nia and I said before we, you guys won't ever hear any of this part, we're basically in the same place because that's what everyone assumes the Midwest is just one little tiny city. That yeah, we're, we're totally in from. Chicago, right? We're all from Chicago. Every single one of us, Windy City mm -hmm. and, you know, Chicago style hot dogs and deep dish pizza is horrible. And I, and I won't step off of that. No, no. That's the hill I will die on, that it's lasagna. It's not pizza. Um, <laughs> oh, that's, that's, uh, that gets you into fights. You're very, you're very brave. I'm very brave, I know, and I'm sure we're going to get emails about it, but I don't care. I'm sorry. Deep dish pizza <laughs> is a casserole. I want my pizza to be a pizza. And when they're like, you only need one piece and then you're full. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to eat one piece of pizza. I want to eat half a pizza and delight myself. Anyway, this is apropos of nothing. Getting back to books. Um, towards the end of our episodes, we like to ask nine questions. We call them the nerd nine because I like alliteration. Okay. So the first one is, what's the last book you finished reading? Last book I finished reading was This Is How You Lose the Time War, which I'm late on, but I, I was so excited to get to do it. Isn't it good? Yeah. So freaking good. Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite place to read? Um, yeah, it's probably any place where my cat isn't actually trying to fight me for attention. So okay. usually my couch and usually with my book kind of over my head because he's short and I have that going for me. <laughs> um, I'm going to laugh if this question is The Great Gatsby, but do you remember the book that made you fall in love with reading when you were a kid? Book that, uh, it, it, it absolutely wasn't The Great Gatsby. It was probably um, Dealing with Dragons by Patricia Reedy. That one's, that one's on my radar again uh, for a couple of different reasons, but that one was just, look at what I can do with language and here, have some dragons. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, now that we are soon going to be allowed to travel again, what's one place you'd like to go to that you have not yet visited? Let's see. Um, I think I'd actually like to go to Asheville, North Carolina and uh, visit some friends. I haven't seen them in forever and their, their place looks great. And there are so many lizards, own so many lizards. I'm so excited to play with the lizards. Asheville is amazing. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, it's, I don't know if you are a craft beer fan, but they have roughly a billion, much like Milwaukee and Cleveland, basically a brewery on every corner and it is so wasted on me i'm bad at alcohol i'm hilariously bad at alcohol i don't drink it because i'm that bad at it well then never mind there's also <laughs> lovely bakeries and incredible southern food with jewel that enjoy. sounds wonderful and i'm just gonna talk do you know what my lord is oh, oh yeah i'm from, of course i know what my lord is it is horrendous. Right. here's someone just made an ice cream of it at the purple door ice cream factory down here i'm gonna have some because i'm tired of feeling good about my choices 
Yeah, no, you have to try it. You you, you never got, had a choice. You got you gotta. I'm, I don't have a choice anyway. Oh, I'm upset by those words. No, can't you feel it? Like the, the band-aid taste? It hurt a lot when you said the words Malort ice cream. I got you know, really, yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I got like bummed out on a cellular level. Oof. Um, do you do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? Halloween. I'm an old school goth, of course it's Halloween. Yeah. Uh coffee or tea? Um, actually I'm really bad at both of those. So just water and Kool-Aid for me, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, cats or dogs? Uh, cats, because my own cat is staring at me and takes vengeance when he doesn't like things. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, do you have a favorite food? And please don't say Malort ice cream. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's that just hurt my soul. Uh-huh. Um, probably, uh, it'd probably be some kind of curry. Yeah. You know, it's like curry is friendly and it's, it's just, just love in, in a single pot. Yeah, I, I feel like I could eat curry every single day. That's, oh, yeah. I, that's a great answer. Okay, last one of these. If you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, who would you pick? I don't know why the first thing that occurred to my head was zombie George Washington, but I'm going to stick with that, I think. I feel good about that answer. Very powerful. I like that mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. I, um, I don't have to account for my narrative choices. I'm not writing a book right now. Yeah, absolutely. You're great. Um, okay, last question for you. What do you hope readers take away from The Chosen and the Beautiful? I hope that I hope it makes them feel good. I hope that they uh, enjoy, you know, the uh, eighty thousand words they spend with me. I hope it makes them think about the role of stories in their lives and where they take them. That's absolutely perfect. The book is amazing. I know everyone is absolutely going to adore it. Me, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. Ah, and thank you for your work with Libby and Overdrive. Too. I've, got, I've got them on my tablet and they make me very happy. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.